Welcome to the Littler Labor and Employment Podcast, conversations about employment and labor law issues that impact the workplace. I'm Corinne Jackson with Littler's Knowledge Management Department, and I'm excited to have with us Gary Mathiason and Natalie Pierce, San Francisco shareholders and the co-chairs of Littler's Robotics, AI, and Automation Practice Group the world's first robotics group focused on employment law. And Natalie, I know that you're joining us from a cab in New York City, so we might hear a few sounds in the background. Gary and Natalie are here to tell us everything we've ever wanted to know, or at least a few of the highlights, about Littler's automation practice group, its intersection with employment law, and whether we're all just robots and we don't even know it. Thanks, Corinne. We're excited to be here today, and I do apologize for that uh Midtown Manhattan background noise, but hopefully we can get through it. Uh, and for the record, I can say that at least Gary and I are not robots. Uh, that's right, Natalie. And I think the fact you're broadcasting from a cab demonstrates what's happening to technology in, in the workplace. Everything is digital, everything is mobile, and we have a whole new world occurring. Now, with regard to the status of being a robot, Corinne, I'm not so sure about you. Isn't there a technology where a robot cannot say, I am not a robot? Well, I am not a robot. So, Gary and Natalie, why don't you bring us back to the genesis of Littler's Robotics, AI, and Automation Practice Group? What inspired its creation, and how would you describe its main intentions? Well, for many years leading to the development of this practice group, I focused on the workplace, employment laws, and the effect of each. This focus included a look at the movement of technology. However, when we reached the point of 2010, the changes became so dramatic, we hit effectively an existential curve that could see huge development over the decade, and we did a prediction going back from 2020 covering the decade and highlighted many of the things that have happened, and if anything, we were too conservative and what we estimated to be the rate of change. We needed some way of putting together resources so that we could learn the industry of robotics and artificial intelligence and determine how this technology was currently affecting the workplace, how to anticipate that the technology would affect the workplace in the future, and then most importantly, input existing and anticipated employment and labor laws in light of these changes. That is really the secret to the practice group and what we hope will give our employers a real advantage in looking at legal compliance as we move into the future. Yeah, change is absolutely the key word there. What we have really been looking at with the development of AI and automation is a fourth industrial revolution. We're no longer moving at a linear pace. Technology is moving at an exponential pace. So the goal of the practice group has been to help employers stay competitive by answering the questions that the development of these transformative technologies are creating. And a related primary intention of forming the practice group was to provide employees with the same guidelines regarding areas of employment law that AI may implicate. For example, existing laws that can be implicated based on the increased use of AI and automation in the workplace include privacy, disability, discrimination, accommodation of employees, and how predictive analytics will potentially affect things like adverse impact and discrimination claims. 
We also have the specter of legislation and regulations. Currently, we have legislation pending regarding self-driving cars, trucks, drones, and an initial battle going on in the legislature with regard to the Teamsters Union and the effect that uh, self-driving trucking will have. So you started to touch on this a bit. In what major ways do you anticipate AI will change the workforce and the way, you know, everyday workers are completing their jobs? Corinne, one of the interesting ways we see the workforce changing is the speed and size of the robotics and artificial intelligence industries. I think this is not well recognized. It is estimated that by 2020, there will be somewhere between $150 and $250 billion defining the industry. But this is just the start. Within less than a decade, we will expect that to go in excess of a trillion and eventually will become the largest industry in the world. So effectively, we're looking at today a technology emerging with speed and impact that will eventually cover the entire globe. I think we're really not going to see any industries that are not disrupted in in some very significant way by Uh, the introduction of transformative technologies in the workplace. Just take, for example, what we're seeing in the retail and service spaces. You can go to grocery stores and and local pharmacies now and not interact with a human worker uh, just because of the types of automation that we're seeing introduced. You go to your local coffee shop, and instead of having a barista prepare your espresso cappuccino, it's going to be a you know robotic barista. We're seeing that. We're seeing it in the way of food preparation, food delivery. You have robots now that can make hundreds of hamburgers made to order. That that savings cost is going into the ingredients and into sort of customization of the hamburgers. So there really is is few spaces that we're not seeing automation taking over. Natalie, that's exactly right, and the speed is remarkable. Uh, We have, for example, Pepper, a robot that was created by SoftBank. There are about 10,000 of these four-foot-tall robots working in retail right now. They're selling, for example, clothing, espresso machines, and cell phones. They're very emotionally intelligent, so by reading your facial expressions, they're able to tell if what they are saying is helpful or not and change the direction that they're taking the conversation in. This is just remarkable technology and is changing the scope of retail, but also the scope of manufacturing and all the other forms of employment. Another great example from the manufacturing or industrial field is Baxter. Baxter is a robot that can be taught by coworkers how to perform their job. Baxter now actually responds to brain waves so that the worker that is training him is wearing a skull cap and thinks that Baxter is missorting an item. Baxter will know that within 10 to 30 milliseconds and consequently correct his behavior. And Baxter will actually react by blushing. This is an incredible new workplace dealing with collaborative robotics, which is one of the hottest movements in the industry. Yeah, it really is, Gary, and and that brings us to uh, another really interesting point. Uh, When we think of robotics, we often think of things we have seen in the old sci-fi movies. It's 
Skynet creating the Terminator cyborg, you know, something hostile and cold that is replacing human beings on the planet or for our purposes uh, on the job. But there, there really is a beautiful side to robotics where they're involved in caring for the elderly and providing services that wouldn't otherwise be available. And with that, we estimate, and we're not alone in this estimate, that within the next 10 years, every household will have a domestic robot of some type. Natalie, I think that's exactly right. The speed of change is enormous. Back in 2010, we looked into the coming decade, and looking back from 2020, we saw the workplace changing dramatically. You saw the growth and development of self-driving cars. Well, we think we are a little shallow in what we are looking at by 2020 in Dallas and Dubai, they're now predicting self-driving flying cars. That's really incredible. Now, I know that you put out a great report a couple of years ago that outlined kind of the key legal issues associated with the transformation of the workplace through robotics. What areas of employment law are you seeing now that you think will be most impacted by the technological revolution? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, the areas of employment law that we think will be most impacted by introducing these disruptive technologies into the workplace are first and foremost dealing with the consequences of worker displacement. So immediately, for example, there's potential warn implications, potential collective bargaining implications. Also, many of these disruptive or stated in the more positive sense transformative technologies will involve use of telepresence and telemanipulation. So you may have privacy concerns. And if you're operating globally, including in Europe, there are even more stringent EU privacy considerations. There are also questions regarding obligations surrounding ADA and accommodation issues. For example, you could have a mechanic who's using Google Glass or some other form of technology to make repairs so that what you're seeing is real-time streaming to someone with an internet connection at work. Now, the technology could potentially detect a tremor, for example, in that mechanic's vision. Uh, that could be an identifier into a worker's potential disability. Natalie, you touched on an important point. We see the introduction of more and more automation into the workplace. You'll see humans working with robots, training robots, and sometimes you'll see a single robot or a team of robots. In this type of setting, these workers will be able to perform many times the amount of work that has historically been done, and the productivity will increase, yet the OSHA standards have not changed. And yet there is a need to look at safety standards in the workplace and a look at voluntary standards from ISO and ANSI that set the community standards, which can be looked at by OSHA and enforced by OSHA. Yeah, Gary, you've really raised another interesting area of the law that we cover. Uh, with robots effectively interacting with people, as you stated earlier, with, with the rise of uh, more and more cobots in the workplace, and bringing a whole host of issues different from the traditional robots that used to be uh, pinned up under a, a, a chain or fencing, there is a need to do a number 
of things to meet the traditional safety standards that have been set up, uh, the voluntary standards that can translate into uh, an OSHA audit or potentially a lawsuit. So we really work with employers to think about how to really look at these transformative technologies from a safety standpoint. I will say that a really great organization is the Robotics Industry uh, Association, and they have a lot of great tools, including safety programs and links to uh, best practices and ISO and ANSI regulations. Well, that leads to my next question. What do you see as some of the most disruptive or transformative effects of this technological revolution? What we're really seeing, again, is major disruption in just about every industry imaginable. When you think about the fact that the largest hotel doesn't own a hotel room, that the largest taxicab company today or equivalent doesn't own a single car, you see what's happening, and we talk about the creation of downstream jobs, and yes, they're there, and historically, after every revolution, what we see is newer and better jobs. But this one really is different because big data is to this revolution what electricity was to the Industrial Revolution. Uh, but change is happening at a much faster pace. Natalie, I think one of the errors that we see being made is a tendency to judge the progress of something by looking at its history and see the kind of change that's taken place in technology over the last five years and then flip it into the future and maybe double it. But that's not what's happening. It's increasing by a factor of 10 to 100 times. So these changes are coming much faster than people predict and expect. But what is amazing with artificial intelligence, big data, predictive analytics, is we're actually making our own decisions more objectively than we were in the past. These are important decisions that relate to employment and labor law. There certainly is error, and there's room for mistakes, but relying on some factor that seems perfectly benign, but in fact harms the minority or protected group, will create liability. But you look at it collectively, and actually this new technology and method of decision-making improves compliance with non-discrimination laws and definitely will be a part of our future. So how do you think that workplace legal compliance requirements can best be achieved recognizing the unstoppable application of disruptive technologies? Well, for example, we'd caution employers to be very careful about the types of predictive analytics that are used in the workplace. We've actually been trying to vet some of those technologies, and what we found is that sometimes as wonderful as those predictive analytics tools can be in terms of driving the greater efficiency, sometimes even driving greater results, an algorithm is only as good as the programmer. And we do see that sometimes biases do work their way into the programs. And while these tools can be great for tackling issues like unconscious bias, one needs, again, to be cautious of the tools used and careful that there isn't some unintended impact on any one protected group. Um, building on that, when you get a situation where you're relying on algorithm or big data, it probably is a very good practical step to at least 
run in parallel normal methods of making selection selectively to determine whether, in fact, you're coming into compliance with what you would expect to be correct under our current employment and labor laws. Well, that raises an interesting issue about AI. Can an algorithm be biased? Well, the algorithm itself isn't biased, of course, but you want to be careful about potential disparate impact. So, for example, you might find that programmers who tend to be the most successful in the workplace are those that visit certain manga sites, for example. And, and lo and behold, if you look at the demographic of people who are regularly on the Internet, it may skew against those who are 65 and older, and it's still less than half of that demographic who will be on the site. And so for as much as there may be this real correlation between successful programmers and those who visit the manga sites, you may be eliminating or not looking at very qualified other candidates because the program has learned that this connection exists. Natalie, I can give another example that is very common and illustrates the very point that you were making. Some algorithms find the best talent by looking at zip codes and coordinating the zip code with the success of past employees or current employees, and then create invitations directly related to those zip codes, which could inadvertently and unintentionally exclude certain minority groups and others that may have housing primarily outside of a given zip code. So something needs to be avoided. Some things need to be vetted and looked at. And probably the most critical recommendation we can make is for legal departments and HR departments to get involved early and participate in the creation of this technology, at least offering opinion from both perspectives on what can be made available. Well, that bridges nicely to my next question, which is what are your main practical recommendations that you would give to legal and HR professionals specifically? Yeah, that, that's a great point that Gary just made about being part of the conversation. And I think if we were to give a practical recommendation to legal and HR professionals, it would be just that. Make yourself part of the conversation. These changes, they're, they're coming in the next 10 to 15 years. Uh, they've already begun happening. And unfortunately, what we're seeing, and this is happening often, is that these decisions are coming more from corporate and HR and legal they're just not part of the conversation. There's a real opportunity, and certainly there's a good example with what happened with Accenture Jobs. They decided to elevate rather than eliminate positions. And so whereas they got rid of 17,000 back office jobs, they didn't have to lay off uh, any of their employees. But this really means that all employers should be taking a look at their existing workforce. Look at what can be automated in a collaborative environment. And really, very likely, if it can be automated, it will be automated, and it's going to happen very quickly. And oftentimes, it will be the only way to stay competitive and avoid having greater layoffs because you're losing out to the competition. So 
is there an opportunity to get in there and put skill and other thoughts into these discussions in order to reposition some of the workforce? These are questions that HR and legal should absolutely be looking because there will be huge morale implications, as you can imagine, when workers are starting to see some of their jobs become automated and, and the associated insecurity that comes with those changes. Natalie, that's a fascinating observation. We have a company that was faced with the growing technology dealing with warehouses and automating them. And they determined that they could probably eliminate 75% of the existing jobs by moving to a more automated system relying on robotics and artificial intelligence. The company is relatively new. And rather than having this kind of impact on employees, decided that it would work hard to build the reputation of this company to find new and better and more interesting jobs for existing employees, provide the additional training that was required, and actually were able to keep all the employees that were previously in those positions. Now, this isn't going to be possible in every instance, but it's an example of how much can be accomplished by an employer that's doing some thought about what is about to come. And it doesn't even take into account the benefit of the economy and other jobs that are being made for employees like suppliers. There are so many collateral jobs, including jobs that didn't exist before. So the impact on workers of an organization can really be mitigated if you think about it and plan for it in advance. Yeah, I love that example. And, you know, another real example that I like to give, especially when trying to assuage these fears uh, that, that greater automation necessarily means replacement, is just look to Amazon. It, it's hard to believe that it was just five years ago that they acquired Kiva Systems, a little orange warehouse robots that run around the floor and help bring the items for packaging to the human coworkers. When they purchased it for $775 million uh, five years ago, they employed less than 100,000 employees. Well, since then, they're employing, you know, last I checked, 368,000 employees. They have about 100,000 Kiva systems in operations. Uh, 110,000 of the jobs were just added last year, and there's plans to add another 50,000 uh, jobs this year. So it just goes to show that building greater efficiencies can also lead to greater productivity and uh, job growth. So how will Littler and Littler clients play a role in proposed robotics legislation and regulations with this developing technology? It's such an exciting time to uh, not just be a lawyer in this space, but also a business leader, because we are in an area where we can be part of helping to shape new laws and regulations, or making sure on the flip side that new laws and, and regulations aren't getting too much in the way of evolving technology. So we've really worked to be innovative and in making suggestions on what could happen and that we make the flow easier and better for people, as well as better for the introduction of the technologies. And I think looking at it beyond just the immediate 
client, but looking at it from 360-degree view, uh, we can be much more effective and, and provide real value for our clients. Absolutely, Natalie. One exciting aspect of what we are doing with the practice group is a little different in that we're looking at areas of law that came into existence 100 years ago, 50 years ago, 25 years ago. We're taking this legal structure that was put in place long before there was any thought about today's technology and how the world would change and working very hard through thought leadership and working with regulators and administrative agencies to try to modify and adjust future legal decisions regarding regulations and legislation so they will conform more with the type of technologies being used. This is a tremendous opportunity for all of us to work together and fashion the best possible structure for the future workplace. However, the time for doing this thinking is now and not waiting until you've actually had adverse consequences from the movement of the technology and the conflict it will have with existing regulations if you aren't anticipating the needed changes. What is one example of a way your group has worked with a client? So one tangible example of where we have been able to bring value to the process for a client is a small company that was laying off a large section of their workforce because they couldn't compete. And remarkably, they had a labor union, uh, and with a lot of encouragement, both the union and the employer sat down and worked out a system whereby they were able to stay in business. They have about half the employees, but they had an exit path for the others, and that was very successful. I think one of the ways this practice group will be helpful to employers in the future is to learn the industry uh, and learn it in, in depth. Uh, the industry is is complex, it's evolving, it's changing, and if the lawyer comes in not really aware of what's going on, it's going to be much harder to unearth the employment law issues and, and provide practical compliance suggestions. Natalie, another way Littler and the practice group is working very hard to be of value to employers is to actually incorporate the use of this new technology in the way law is practiced. We recently had a California statute passed for what was called fair pay. It's part of the Equal Pay Act initiative that's been active around the country. You have several other states and including California that have adjusted this to have fair pay requirements uh, across minorities and other protected categories. It is extremely hard for our clients to do the mathematical calculations and determine the appropriate groupings to determine whether they're in compliance or not in compliance with this type of statute and potentially make adjustments. Anticipating this need, Littler actually created an audit process, attorney-client privilege, that will look at equal pay audits and uses some of the most advanced technology that's ever been put into an algorithm. And it actually facilitates an almost instantaneous transformation of the statistics of the employer into usable information that can be evaluated for legal compliance and if necessary adjustments can be made. 
this is exactly what we expect from the future, that instead of merely having disruptions and problems from the new technology, we actually need to use it as an offensive weapon in our compliance efforts. And indeed, within our practice group, we're originating a robotics compliance survey and audit that's intended to do exactly the same with the field of change that we are now dealing with. So what do you think an employer, looking back from 10 years in the future to this present time, will wish they had known and acted on today? Well, I think if they aren't involved yet, especially HR and legal, they're going to wish that they had been. It's like that old picture of this tiny group of young Microsoft founders in Seattle from 30 years ago that, that says, would you have bought stock? And the implication is that you may not have, but of course you should have. And that's what's going on now. Now you see businesses looking to providers and saying, okay, we may need something that's going to help us um, profile our employee personalities or increase the productivity of our workforce. And they're not always involving legal and HR in the conversation. So I think that for legal to be educated and to really be testing results in the area of predictive analytics as a, for example, it's something that companies are really going to wish that they had done while they had the opportunity. Natalie, I think this is very interesting. And I couldn't agree more that involvement from human resources and legal actually speeds up the process of assimilating technology. We have several clients right now that have a practice of involving legal and HR at the beginning of the automation process. And two one, these clients are doing a better job and a faster job of assimilating technology. And I can't think of an example where it's actually limited the development of the technology. It's actually facilitated it in the most positive way. This is not a surprise. It's not a stop down the line. Where legal and HR have a seat at the table from the beginning, there's no need to back up and go check for adverse impact. It's just one example because it will have been looked at as the process continued. It's done in progression. So the message I would send for organizations is to not be fearful of the involvement of HR and legal and encourage that involvement as a necessary resource to making things go smoother. This is a major recommendation of our firm. So far, what has been the most rewarding aspect of founding and co-chairing this innovative practice group? I would say that the most rewarding aspect of co-chairing this practice group has, has been drinking you know, through a fire hose nozzle every day in terms of just trying to keep abreast of how it is that cognitive computing is now being applied to big data and becoming more and more ingrained into uh, robotics, including uh, collaborative robots, which, which we really see, I, I would say, especially in the last couple of years, making a grand and, and fast entrance into the workforce. So it's been collaborating with manufacturers and integrators and end users and really seeing what is possible and how workforces and hopefully uh, we're really going to see this 
continue to be true in the U.S. workforce, but how it is that we keep this real competitive edge in this quickly changing global economy and helping legal and HR be part of that conversation and help help their companies stay competitive and looking to reskill and reposition workers where possible, it's, it's exciting and very gratifying and rewarding as, as one of the co-chairs of this practice group. Natalie, I would uh, share all of the comments you just made. I think for me what is surprising is I've had a strong interest in the technology for decades, and yet I'm finding that what I am enjoying the most in our practice group is the involvement with incredible people that are innovative, that are fashioning the future, and to listen to their ideas and contribute to them, and then be able to exercise creative thought on how you take laws and regulations that were established for a good purpose and translate them into having the same effect on a new workplace that's so heavily structured with technology and artificial intelligence. And I think that's entirely possible. Additionally, this gives us a relationship with regulators and legislators, not just in the United States, but around the world, and a chance to provide our best thinking on how these regulations and legislation can be structured to have a positive effect on industry and a positive beneficial effect on the population as we increase productivity and really make things better for all of us. We anticipate within Littler the robotics, artificial intelligence, and automation practice group will not only be dealing with the most innovative developments and changes that are occurring in the workplace, but will actually represent the largest segment of our entire legal practice. With this industry growing as fast as it is and predicted to become the world's largest industry, it's going to be essential that we have a good handle on employment and labor laws as we go forward into this entirely new world. Thank you, Gary and Natalie, for joining me to discuss Littler's Robotics, AI, and Automation Practice Group. If you would like to learn more about this group, please visit littler.com. The purpose of this program is to provide helpful information for employers addressing the latest developments in labor and employment relations. It is not a substitute for experienced legal counsel and does not provide legal advice or attempt to address the numerous factual issues that arise in any employment-related issue. To discover other labor and employment podcast series from Littler, the largest global employment and labor law practice, visit littler.com slash podcasts.